Changing minds one thought at a time. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Minds Online Empowering Women series. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. It's a beautiful evening here. I'm sitting outside and enjoying some fresh air, and I am just excited to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, what we're talking about tonight is a really, really important topic, and it's one that people do not address often, and often it's just overlooked, and it is such a really important thing for us to all be aware of and know about that I'm really excited we're able to bring this topic to our listeners. It's the first time we're talking about something of this nature, and, you know, it's it really, I think, is going to empower a lot of people. So, Akina, you know, why don't you give our listeners an idea of what we're going to be speaking about tonight and the amazing woman that is going to be just, uh, we have a pleasure of, of, of having as a guest tonight. Well, Jessica, I am honored to do so. You know, this woman here is phenomenal, dynamic, inspirational, and she's getting ready to really break down our topic for us tonight. Tonight we'll be talking about how to celebrate a life after domestic violence. And our speaker tonight is a domestic violence striver. So without further ado, I can't wait to introduce to everyone Jennifer Foxworthy. How are you doing today, Jennifer? Hi, ladies. Hey, how are you? I mean, you know, you're already bringing the energy. You're already bringing the heat now. Uh, you know, so we already know it's going to be a dynamic show. You know it. Yes, ma'am. We have been planning this for a moment, and I have been patiently waiting to have my turn on your fabulous show with Jessica. So I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is ours, ma'am. It is. And, you know, and with this being such a powerful topic, we can't wait to hear more about it. So tell us what is a domestic violence driver. A domestic violence driver, I tell, I explain to people that you, you, there's a victim, then you go survivor, and then hopefully, if you go through the the process of healing, restoration, and then ultimately forgiveness, you can be a survivor. And so I educate those that I uh, come across who want to know, well, what's the difference? A survivor is someone who physically gets out of the relationship but is mentally and emotionally still held captive, meaning, and I was, um, once I got out of my um, abusive nightmare, I was a survivor for a period of time. And I realized I was in survivor mode because I would, um, the my uh, ex-boyfriend who was the abuser, he had went on, got into another relationship, married the other uh, girl, um, but I was communicating with mutual friends to see if he was happy. For some reason, well, it wasn't for some reason, I needed to have some type of satisfaction that he was miserable, that after all that I went through and the time invested, I was trying to get information or find pictures or on social media typing his name to see what did he look like after the, you know, five, six years had gone by. And I just wanted some type of satisfaction to know that he was miserable. 
that maybe they were separated, just something. And then I even found my, I realized I was going, Googling his name in obituaries, you know, to see was he even dead. That's the type of satisfaction that I was looking for. Um, and I, and I, it dawned on me, Jennifer, hold up, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're not even with this guy, and you're still giving him control over your, your emotions, your actions. And that at that point, that's when I put it in my heart that I needed to forgive and release that that stronghold. Um, once I forgave, because I had already went through the healing, and I re- restored, and we'll talk about that a little bit later if you like. But it was a three-step process. But once I forgave, I didn't reach out to him physically to say, hey, I forgive you for what you did. I just had to put it in my mind and my heart that I can no longer allow this person to have control over me mentally and emotionally as well. Once I did, it was like a whole weight was lifted off off of my shoulders, and I felt free. And so many doors began to open for me after that. And so that's why I say there's a difference between a survivor and a thriver. A thriver finds purpose from the pain. You know, I think it's amazing what you're talking about. And I have personally, you know, never experienced domestic violence, thank goodness, but one of the things that I love about what you said is talking about forgiveness. You know, for me, forgiveness is so, so powerful. Because, And a lot of times people say, well, a person doesn't deserve forgiveness. And, you know, and that's a whole other issue and a whole other topic. But and, and I believe as a Christian we all really, like, right, we don't deserve God's forgiveness. He forgives us anyway. So I really do believe in forgiveness, and I believe in a person being deserving of forgiveness. But what I love about what you've said and more related to what we're talking about is that when you forgave, you took your power back. See, a lot of people think that forgiveness is for the other person. See, forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It really doesn't. And I love how you talked about, you know, needing not needing to tell him that you forgave him. You know, and, and I often kind of laugh about this, and I but I, when I want to forgive someone, I actually talk to my guinea pigs. I have this one guinea pig, Jack, and he is this, this little fat black guinea pig who's furry, and he just looks right at me. And if I have to have a conversation, if I want to forgive someone, I just talk to Jack as if that's the person I'm forgiving, and I, and I forgive that person. And you know the yeah. amazing part about it is that when you, are, when you forgive someone, what you're saying and like what you said is that you're no longer allowing them to hurt you. You're no longer allowing them to take your power away. You're claiming your power back, and you're being a victor rather than a victim. I know you talked about being a a victim as your first kind of state and then going Mm -hmm. to the survivor and the survivor. You know, and I think I use um, the very similar concept of slightly different language, saying you can't be a victim and a victim at the same time. And if you want to have victory in your and and with your language, if you want to really thrive through a situation. You must forgive. It's the only way to get your power back. You know, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, Nelson Mandela, he used uh, a quote that resentment is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your enemy. 
and for quite some time, you know, I have went on my with my life as well. But I was so, you know, again, I was worried. I was consumed to a point of getting that satisfaction or that revenge, so to speak. And sometimes that that revenge never happens. It's not ours. It's supposed to be God's. And, you know, I'm not forgiving his behavior, but I had to do it to free myself. Um, and maybe people may say, well, you know, that's selfish, but no, I would want somebody to forgive me if I've done wrong. And ultimately it was to free myself from that stronghold of having him still control my mind, my thoughts, and my actions. That was the only way that I could get to the next level, which was forgiveness. And once I put it in my mind and my heart, oh, my goodness, it was it's like none of no other feeling that I could truly describe of what when you forgive someone and you truly put it, you know, past you. Um, because it's important for me to thrive. My family, um, every relationship that I have benefits from me thriving. My my family, they don't need me just mentally breaking down you know, constantly because I'm still playing the horror in my mind like a recorder. Yes. You know, I recently had a conversation about um, domestic violence, and while I haven't experienced it personally, I have experienced it within my family. And, you know, a lot of people... When when I've talked to people who, my friends and my family who have went through it, they say, you know, it was, it wasn't something they really talked about. You know, they didn't feel mm-hmm. like they needed to talk about it. They didn't need, you know, it was just something that happened to them. You know, they didn't think anybody else would care about what was going on. You know, nobody right. was there to save them, you know. And, and then the next thing comes out their mouth is, well, it happened to my parent before me. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is a cycle that happens on and on and on. And the children are like, well, if I see my parents doing it, then it must be okay. So when, uh, especially with females, when a gentleman does it to them, they're thinking, well, my mother went through it, so it must be okay, you know, mentally in their mind. And then they just don't That's- say nothing. They just endure it. And we're here to say that it's not okay. No one has the right to put their hands on you for any reason, you know. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know how you were feeling when you were going through that. Did you have that same uh, those same thought patterns? You know what? I did not realize. Um, I did not because it's treated, domestic violence is like a dirty little secret, and unfortunately, we don't. Uh, have the conversation with our young boys and girls. We don't really teach them what uh, what uh, healthy relationships look like sometimes. We don't t- explain to them what good touch and bad touch is like until after the fact, and, you know, it's too late. And the same with domestic violence, rape, and sexual assault. 
These are conversations. They're uncomfortable, but we have to have and start them early. Um, my mom has told me stories of how my dad would uh, – it was more emotional and mental as far as downgrading her self-worth. And, you know, unfortunately, um, in her childhood, her mother physically abused her. It was a very, you know, she grew up in a very dysfunctional home. So when your self-esteem is already low, you're willing to, when you are older, and you get into a uh, an adult relationship. There are certain things you're willing to willing to condone because of that low self esteem and that low self worth. For me, I was bullied in high school, and it was I have dark skin, thick lips, pinky hair. I'm African American. Unfortunately, growing up in the '80s and '70s, it was. It was not right, but it was expected for other ethnicities to point out those features and make fun of them as if they were ugly. But I had uh, one class in high school. I had three African-American young boys. It was just constant, make fun of those very same features that I began to feel awkward about. So in my young mind, I'm not accepted. I'm not seen as pretty by white, by Hispanics, and now I have my own kind, you know, pointing out those very features. So my self-esteem was basically non-existent. So as I got older, I found myself looking for love and acceptance in poor relationships. So that's how, you know, and uh, granted I've joined the service, served my country proudly for 21 years, And people are like, well, you're courageous and you were in three wars and you did this and you did that. But my private life and my professional life were two different things. In the military, you can't show any type of weakness. And that's just the way I I held it together. And And people may, you know, I tell people, I suppress my low self-esteem out of necessity and maybe unconsciously, not realizing that's what I was doing. But when we suppress certain things like that, it has a way of rearing its ugly head in our everyday lives. And it reared its head in my poor relationships and the relationships that I stayed in and accepted. You know, one of the things I like, and, and first of all, I just want to, first I want to thank you for your service to this country, especially, you know, as we were near July 4th, and, um, you know, it, it's just really, and, and, and I'm changing my mind, we do want to stop there, like, you know, for anyone who served the country, thank you, um, first of all. And, you know, this, and then a couple of things I do want to just bring up on, on the call, and, you know, one of the things that I really forgot to me is you said, you know, that you were... Um, you were faced with all of these criticisms of who you are and things that affected your self-esteem. And, you know, one of the things that you brought up and not directly related to everything you were talking about is just the idea that you thought you weren't beautiful because you didn't have white skin and that is what you were told. And, 
you know, obviously anyone who's looked at our website will know that, you know, Akia is African-American, that I am Caucasian or white. And, you know, I just want to let you know I think you're beautiful. And we, no, really bless do, stand, we do stand for everyone. Everyone was created in God's image, and we believe that at Changing Minds Online. And, you know, Akina said something interesting to me the other day, and she said, you know, you're a person who doesn't see color, and that's what we stand for. And when you're talking about, you know, choosing, but I really feel like you're talking about, when you're talking about self-esteem, is that no matter what it is, whether it's an abusive relationship, whether it's physical abuse, domestic violence, whether you have friendships that don't serve you, whether or not you're, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're at work and you're being taken advantage of, you know, oftentimes people stay in relationships because they're choosing that they don't matter. And, you know, no matter what it is, and I, and I talk about this, and I really want to just emphasize this as well, especially because I know it's a sensitive topic, which, you know, I can't talk about in integrity. And I do want to kind of really be, you know, I say this with love, that, you know, no matter what situation we're in, it's one we're attracting because of the thoughts we have about ourselves. You know, if mm-hmm. you're in a relationship, whether or not it's a, a, a you know, domestic violence or whether or not it's a friendship with someone who takes advantage of you or whether or not, you know, your employer is not treating you well and not honoring you and for all you're capable of, know that whatever, you know, you think about yourself, that's what you're actually attracting into your life. If you don't mm-hmm. love yourself, if you don't value yourself, if you don't think you're beautiful, then the relationships you're going to attract are people who think the same things about you. And I love how when you're talking about becoming a thriver, really surviving, more than surviving, but thriving and flourishing um, past domestic violence or, or any situation, you, know, you really are choosing that you matter. You're choosing that you're enough, that you're worthy enough, that you're perfect. And, you know, we want everyone to know who's listening to this call tonight you know, whether or not he's been a victim of domestic violence, like I said, or any other relationship, or no matter what it is, you know, that you are perfect, that you're not broken, you know, that you are beautiful, that you are loved, that you were made in the image of God. You know, you were divinely created perfectly. And to say yes. anything less would be to commit blasphemy. To say that you are not beautiful, to say that you're not loved, to say that you're not just purely perfect, would be to to look at God and to say he's not perfect because we're made in his image. And, you know, I just want to, you know, let you know tonight on our call that we think you're perfect. And not only in, in you and anyone who's listening in tonight who's sitting here saying, well, you know, I'm in a relationship that doesn't serve me. I'm in a relationship that doesn't make me happy. Or maybe someone listening in tonight. And, and in, statistically, in all likelihood, there are people listening to this call tonight who are right now um, in situations where they're experiencing domestic violence, you're perfect, and you're worth more than that. You deserve more than that. And, you know, what I want to ask you to talk about, if it's okay with you, and I know this may be difficult, you know, how did you decide that you were worth enough, that you mattered enough to get out of the situation, and what was it like for you? Because, you know, I just know that there's someone listening to this call that is sitting here and saying, hey, you know what, I really want to get out of my situation. I just can't find the courage. I just don't know how. You know, where did you, where did that courage come from to you? And speak to that person, please, for a few minutes. Uh, Jessica, great question. Um, I was the type of person, even though I have low self-esteem, you know, you grow up saying, you know, I'm not going to let anybody put their hands on me. Man, 
woman, you know, I'm going to defend myself. But when I was in, it happened gradually. You know, so there's like a honeymoon period, and the abuser, they don't come right out the gate uh, acting like uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Everything is great. Everything is going quickly, wonderfully. Within the first six months, I had thought I was uh, pregnant because I had missed my period, and I wasn't sure why. And when I went to tell him, he hauled off and punched me in my stomach. That was the first physical sign. Um, But, you know, then came the I love yous, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, and there goes the honeymoon. So there's a three-phase cycle, the honeymoon, the tension, and then the actual uh, escalation of the uh, of the abuse. For five and a half years, this is what I dealt with. There was definitely some great times, and that's what held me, uh, had me hold on. But then it, it was really where the name calling and the slaps across the face became more frequent. To where, so basically, I think I was in denial and I was holding out hope. And if I loved stronger and harder, that he would change and see me for the beautiful person that I thought I was. Unfortunately, abusers don't think that way. They're all about in a pattern of control. So, what I would say to anyone listening to this who is trying to understand what domestic violence is or maybe experiencing the relationship themselves, don't feel alone and ashamed. I stayed in my situation because I felt ashamed. You know, how do you explain to your friends and family that here's another relationship that didn't work or explain to them that you are allowing someone, you can, you have the courage to defend your country but yet you're allowing someone to put their hands on you and mistreat you. So it was kind of like um, very incongruent. And it wasn't until I was out of it that I found out about the statistics that one in four women will be in an abusive relationship in their lifetime. And one and now national statistics say one in seven men will be in an abusive relationship in their lifetime. So if you do a mental picture of, your congregation, maybe your employees or your group of friends, and you do a mental picture of every fourth woman, you mentally stand up in your head, and every seventh man, you mentally stand up in your head. That gives you an indication of actually who has experienced or will experience domestic violence. So because, again, it wasn't talked about, I had a preconceived notion that domestic violence was just physical, but domestic violence is so much more. It's a pattern of control dealing economically, dealing with sexual abuse, dealing with emotional, mental, psychological, so it's more than physical. And I think that's where uh, a lot of victims, they don't realize that they're in a domestic uh, intimate partner uh, abusive relationship because they're just looking for the physical signs. But there's so much more to it. So we have to raise that awareness and educate, educate, educate. What was the defining moment for me, unfortunately, it wasn't even the domestic violence that 
catapulted me to leave him, I had suspected him of cheating. So in my mind, it was bad enough that you're calling me out my name. It's bad enough that you're putting your hands on me. But now it was like pouring salt on the wound that you're going to step outside of our relationship after all I have dedicated to you and put up with. So that was, and then, yeah, that got me to my sick and tired of being sick and tired point. So people who, the non-abuse community, they say, well, why don't you just leave? Luckily, I didn't have children in our, uh, to this guy, and I wasn't married to him. But married and with children, it makes it even more difficult for the victim to try and leave. Um, so I had that benefit. But you just try and hold out hope, and you're, you're feeling alone and ashamed, so you, you, stick, you stick it out and hope that it does change. And, uh, yeah, so it was me suspecting of his infidelity that that took me over the edge and said, no more, I can't do this. And I believe in my heart of hearts that because it was service member on service member, because he, he was in the uh, Navy as well, that... Um, that saved me from a, more of a nightmare than many that other victims experience, you know, as far as fighting for their life and everything else. I think he valued somewhat his career, and I think he held back a lot of what he could have taken out on me. So that's what had got me to leave and said, I'm done, I'm out of here, no more. And once I told my friends, they rallied around me, helped me move. Everything went so, it was like God ordained every step, and it happened so quickly, I didn't have time to hesitate and run back and say, I made a mistake, take me back, because he actually proposed to me. And I was like, and I said to him, if you are willing to treat me like this as a girlfriend, what would it be like as a wife? Oh, wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. And you mentioned your sick and tired of being sick and tired spot. So mm-hmm. what would you say to someone, you know, who is there and we're talking about the restoration? And you mentioned that there's three steps to the restoration. Can you tell us more about those? Yes. Uh, the the way to um, I realized that there were three phases in order to once I was out of the relationship, and especially as I started writing my book, tomorrow my sunshine will come. Memoirs of women who just um, who survived domestic violence. The healing came when I started discussing it, openly talking about it, and that there were other women that said, me too. It was like strength in numbers. I grew from that strength of knowing I'm not alone. I'm not the supposed idiot that got herself into into an abusive relationship, that there were many other women and even men who found themselves in abusive relationships. 
We didn't go looking for it. It's, it's just when you, when I, you know, having low self-esteem, regardless of how it comes about, whether through bullying, child sexual abuse, what have you, that low self-esteem identifies how we feel about each other and how we see each other. So the talking about it began the healing process. Then the restoration was me doing affirmations, looking in the mirror and saying, Jennifer, you are beautiful. Jennifer, you are worthy to be loved. Jennifer, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because you have to understand, I got called all types of names. Myself, I already had low self-esteem, but he beat it down even more. And I couldn't understand how can someone who professed their love for me just keep calling me out my name and, and degrading me and just look at me with this matter-of-fact look, but with an evil look, and just look at me and say, you're, damn, you're ugly. Look at your crooked teeth. Look at your bald head. Look at this. Look at that. Everything just nitpicking. So I had to rebuild. That restoration is rebuilding the self-esteem. And it's like that song, sometimes you got to encourage yourself. When nobody else is around to encourage you, you have to look in that mirror, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and encourage yourself. And that's what I had to do. That's the restoration period, is reaffirming to yourself that you are good enough. And then that last phase, which is so hard for so many people, is the forgiveness phase. You can do the talking, you can do the restoring, but if you, if a person is so overcome with the hatred, the resentment, it eats away at you physically and mentally, and it robs you of everything that's purposeful that you can have in life. And so that's why I say there is a three-phase process of becoming a thriver, and that's to get over any traumatic experience, whether it's rape, sexual abuse, uh, you name it. Um, you have to go through that um, that process. And it may not have to be in that order. There's some women that I've talked to that said they forgave first. And also I wanted to add that forgiveness also has, I had to forgive myself for being vulnerable and allowing myself to get into that situation, knowing that I knew better. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, we just want to let you know, and everyone who's listening in today know, you know, you're not good enough. You are amazing. You know, you're extraordinary. You're capable of so much. And, I'm so thankful for you and for you sharing your story and your testimony and for everything you've decided to do. You know, we're at that point where we have to close down our show tonight and we can keep talking because it's such an amazing, you know, topic and conversation and it's so powerful. You know, if there was one last, you know, phrase, one last um, bit of advice you can give the whoever listened tonight, especially someone who's in a situation dealing with domestic violence, you know, if you could summarize it in one sentence, what would it be? Oh boy, um, there's there's so much, but I would say don't feel ashamed. 
Do not feel ashamed and do not hide it. Get to a safe house, whether that's a shelter or someone you trust, but create a plan and and get out, and especially if there's children involved. Children are very smart. They're sponges. So when we think that they, that them, it actually does. So I would say, basically, do not feel ashamed. You are not alone. You are loved. And, and make a plan and get out of it. Awesome. Well, you know, we wanted to thank you so much for being a guest on our call tonight. Uh, it was really just amazing to speak with you, and I just really love who you are and everything you stand for. Um, you know, Akina, is there anything you want to add before we close out our show tonight? Thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing your story. I know it inspired many of our listeners tonight. Thank you so much. You're absolutely welcome. You know, on that note, we always end our calls the same way. We just want to just let everyone in who called in tonight. We thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. You know, if you want to hear a replay of this call, or if you're calling in for the first time tonight and you want to check out any of our other podcasts, you can check us out on www.changingmindsonline.com. Connect with us on Facebook. We're at Blog Talk Radio, and we're on iTunes. You can find our podcast there as well. Um, we do, and if you're normally following our, our calls, we do know that we have a call typically on Sundays. We will not be having a call this Sunday in honor of Fourth of July and, and for our freedom. And, and thank you again for your service. So we encourage you, we, as Kim and I both believe in being present and living in the moment and spending time with family. So we encourage you to be doing something um, amazing on Sunday. So we will be with you next week on Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for our Empowering Women series again. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Make it a fantastic week, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great night, everyone. Good night, everyone.